0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to
1: another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor. Today I'm joined by the full squad, David, Brady, and Jordan. Today we're going to be unfortunately breaking down uh, Georgia State's 51 to nothing loss to Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Um, I'm going to throw it to Jordan for a little bit of a recap on the what you need to know if you missed the game,
0: Jordan. Well, so what happened first was Georgia State got the ball and started driving down the field, had a decent drive, more or less. And uh, unfortunately, they were forced to kick a field goal, doinked off the upright to the right. And then at that point, the Georgia State offense left the field and for the rest of the game would never cross midfield at all. Not even once. Coastal Carolina quarterback Grayson McCall came back after missing the previous game. Grayson McCall was good. The Georgia State defense was not. McCall put up 18 out of 24 passes for 254 yards, four passing touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown. Uh, We don't need to dwell on the rest of the game. Safe to say it was just uh, Coastal Carolina scores, Georgia State gets either a three and out or a little bit of a tease of a drive, and then Coastal Carolina gets it back, rinse, lather, repeat, and then... At the end of the game, Chanticleers beat the Panthers 51-0 to in the worst drubbing in Georgia State football history in terms of home game losses. Gentlemen, what else do you have to say about this game? rubbing That's a scrabble word if I've ever heard one. I don't know. Yeah. I think the
2: the the Bs are only so good, you have to line it up on like a double word score to get...
1: And this has been your ThursdayNight.com <laughs> analysis for... <laughs> Florida State's lost to Coastal Carolina. Um, yeah, it was just, that's rough. That's uh, that's just a tough one to wrap your head around. Um,
3: not a whole lot of positives to pull out. Uh, uh, McKeely played, you know, so that's a positive. That matters. Got his first collegiate action. I, I was in a discussion on Twitter with people about this
2: and... Um, I didn't use the word positives for when I spelled out that he debuted. I mean, obviously, if your backup who hasn't played plays in a game, you're either way up or way down. So it could have been a positive, could have been a real positive, but this was a someone needs to play quarterback in the fourth quarter because this game is over. Um, yeah, I, there's really not much to say except none of the phases played well for Georgia State. Coastal was good in all of them, and. It looked like that. That's how the game played out. And we really haven't seen the Georgia state offense look like that since Brad Glenn got here as offensive coordinator. In fact, you know, the rushing offense, it was the first time since he got here that they had not rushed for at least 100 yards in the game, 30 passing yards and just over hundred total yards. You know, when you're playing a game and it's like, are we going to get, to see a hundred yards of offense from a team, that team's probably not winning that game. It's probably not close.
1: Unless you miraculously play in the big 10 because those games get real weird. <laughs> 40, Georgia State's
2: not in the big 10 yet. 40 plays from scrimmage is a, just a, I would have oh. to imagine that's one of the lower numbers the Georgia State's ever had. Just didn't stay on the field, which and we're talking about the offense. Cause I think that was the thing that was surprising for us because The defense, I mean, we knew that Coastal was going to be a test for the Georgia State defense. We didn't know that the top offense in the Sun Belt, no matter how good Coastal's defense is, and they are very good, uh, wasn't going to match them at all. And it was not going to be close. And so you had the offense having inopportune turnovers, not moving the ball a lot, and leaving the defense out for over 40 minutes of the game. Granted, a lot of that was the fourth quarter. There was a little that was basically when it was over. So that word the time possession doesn't matter as much, but it felt like Coastal had the ball all game, even when it was, you know, semi competitive. And that's how it shook out. Just wasn't a good game, just gotta flush it and move on to the next one. I mean, yeah.
1: Flush <laughs> it I feel like it is appropriate verbiage.
3: this is just truthfully nothing you can take away from this game. That is, I mean, do we want to talk about the yards? Do we want to talk about the third down disparity? Do we want to talk about, you know, usually stout Georgia state offensive line, allowing three sacks, you know, it just, that was a big narrative in the
1: pregame coverage that I heard that Georgia state had allowed the fewest sacks out of any team in the Sunbelt through the first X amount of games. And they got absolutely blown up. They allowed the amount
2: they had, allowed to the yeah. double the their sacks yeah.
1: allowed and that one and, i mean
2: coastal yeah. has guys uh, we, we previewed three people on defense and each of them got a sack so we obviously had some prep work done but it, <laughs> it just never really felt like quad was comfortable i think that it was a game plan designed to maybe get him in a rhythm early and get some like rhythm passes going and get in the offense or rhythm runs because in the first drive they were doing a lot of uh the read option and quad was pulling it himself, but he just, it's, it's the first game where he's really and truly looked like a freshman. And we kind of, I, for the whole game, because there were times against Troy where it was a little rough, but he also had good moments and he ended up rounding it around to where it was just uh you want to improve that going into this next game against coastal um, this game against coastal. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the good stuff. It was more just growing pains. And I think the important thing to note, as far as that goes, is that Georgia State's never started a freshman like this at quarterback. At least since I've been following, and at Georgia State, it's always been junior college guys play for two years. They come in semi-polished and they don't really go through like the bot, you know, bottom out as it were. They they start at a pretty good floor, and it's about how good they can get in the two years. Whereas freshmen are different but the good news is that games like that can be helpful for guys to get better over four years and quads got all the time in the world to remember this game and improve on it
3: for sure um i i think there's one thing that i would say that's not necessarily on quad that i really starting to watch now. I just, I don't think that quad has been the same since McCoy has been out. Um, I know that the Arkansas state game McCoy, that was the first game McCoy missed and he and quad was fine. Obviously that was, you know, one of his best games of the season. Um, I think that says a lot more about the secondary in, um, Jonesboro than it does about quad. Um, I just think he's really struggled with teams focusing in on Sam Pinckney. Um, And obviously Pinckney is, you know, he's had good games since then. He did decent against Troy when they were kind of focusing on him. But I just, I I have concerns about the Georgia State receiving options um, because teams are just not letting Georgia State beat them deep if it's not Sam. Um, So if you bracket Sam at all, or if you even, Fake like the safety is covering, then that's just one receiver who's just gone for Georgia State, and I don't think Quad has shown that he can consistently find that other option. um At least the last couple of weeks um, to yeah. necessarily affect it, because yeah,
2: I mean he had something working with Roger Carter at Troy, and Roger had a great game who scores against Troy. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think that uh, Cornelius McCoy is kind of a security blanket type of receiver like he's gonna get open he's gonna find soft spot in the zone past the sticks and i think at times guys have gotten there i mean georgia state's definitely converted third downs right at the sticks with guys doing exactly that and quad's been able to link up with them but it's not been a consistent thing and you wonder how much of it is missing that reliable guy who has done it for two years already and put up a lot of yards and the other part of it with mccoy missing and I guess he's been dressed out. Doesn't seem like it's a total lost cause. I don't, we don't have a a total ETA on when he'd be back, but it doesn't seem like he is lost for good, but he's also a really good perimeter blocker. And I think that's something where Georgia state could use a little more help, um, shoring up that because there's been a couple of times. And I know David referenced a couple of them in the Troy game where just, there was a play to be made, but, there wasn't the blocks on the outside and Cornelius is usually pretty good with that. Um, Really not the difference in this game. (laughs) He had a great game and I, I guess, you know, you can't play that game too much, but it doesn't seem like that would have been the difference between this game going well for Georgia state or not. But it's definitely something that if you've got a guy going through these kind of growing pains, like quad is having a guy you can just pick out anytime you need you know, 15 yards through the air. Having that guy, you know, can be there would be a lot more helpful for a young quarterback.
3: I can't, I can't speak for anybody else. Um When I say this, I don't necessarily want to say that I'm down on quad after that game. You know, we're not a reactionary bunch here. Um I recognize that he played bad. Um, And I, you know, obviously monitoring that going forward is going to be important, but you do have to take into consideration that, you know, we're not talking about just some other run of the mill sunbelt team, you know, say what you want about the state of college football this year, but this coastal Carolina team is very good. Um, it is not a surprise that they, that defense made somebody look as silly as they did. And, you know, there is, I mean, that was what the fifth game of the season, um, you know, you're gonna start having a on quad come out, and defensive coordinators in college football—they're smart people. You know, they—they they know their personnel, and they know well, they beat certain quarterbacks. And so, quarterback has shown that they know you know, we might see some growing pains for Kwon coming It doesn't necessarily mean that he is not capable of ascending to stardom. Like we have seen, you know, the bright spots this season. I don't want people to look at that result and kind of just see where Georgia state's results have been the last couple of weeks and think that there is a problem at quarterback. I don't, I do not think that there is.
2: Yeah. And I guess to that point, and uh, this is really all I want to say about uh, the rest of this game uh, Coastal had a really good game plan on both sides of the ball. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, I don't know if he's the play caller, and I know he was the offensive coordinator at Coastal, but they were ready on the offense to run what they wanted. And when Georgia State couldn't get to McCall in, in the pocket, he had all day. They were able to... It just felt like they had the right play call every time. They, I don't know if it was they could pick out the coverages or whether they were just relying on McCall being smart on his feet, making reads, but... Uh, they they were really good on both sides and it was because you could tell they really prepared for it really well. Well, enough doom and gloom about last week.
1: Let's talk about <laughs> next week. Uh, this week, Georgia State is hosting the Warhawks, Louisiana Monroe man let's uh let's break this game down this is a uh don't want to ever talk about bust wins but if there was ever a game to turn around and uh kind of help kind of to scoot yourself past uh the memory of a 51 to 0 shellacking at the hands of coastal carolina this is an opportunity
3: for that game i think yeah i mean the defense is it's got to show something um This is a ULM team that averages 13 points a game.
1: Yeah, I want to take a second to kind of just break down some of the statistical, um, like where ULM sits in FBS. I'm on the NCAA's uh, official statistics page. Um, We're ranking uh, 92nd in the country in total offense, uh, just under 300 yards per game, 294.7. For what it's worth, they are one of the better passing yards allowed uh defensive teams in the country, allowing only 176.3 yards through the air. Uh through this is their one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh game. Uh this will be their eighth game coming up. Um, yeah, I mean they're, they're this is a team you should beat. That's yeah that's, that's you can't really beat her out of the bush. That's that's just where it's at. Um especially I, after considering the context of coming off the last game.
3: I would go so far to say that if Georgia state allows 30 points to this team, that is regardless of the outcome, that's not a good look. Um, Georgia the ULM has scored more than 20 points once this season. They've scored only seven points seven or fewer points three times this season um by all accounts this is a bad scoring offense it's not a great defense um and georgia state truthfully just needs to clean a clock and yeah they just need to get themselves straightened out a little bit
1: um georgia state uh has a two and one record against ULM under coach Sean Elliott. But uh, as this uh, all time series stands, Georgia State trails two to three. Uh, last year, ULM beat Georgia State 45 to 31. So um, hopefully the Panthers can get a bounce back win here in a few different regards. Um, I really feel like my. My thoughts on this game are as follows with regards to the kind of offensively, defensively, and special teams like Brady alluded to earlier for Georgia State. like Just no no phase of the ball executed properly for Georgia State against Coastal Carolina. So I think this is something where, David, you said you're going to be specifically kind of keeping an eye on quad. Like there are a few things that I think that we can be on the lookout for with regards to Are there market improvements in the areas that Georgia State was uncharacteristically performing poorly in... The game against Coastal Carolina. Can the offensive line get right? Can the defensive line get get to the quarterback and create pressure and you know just affect the game and not let the quarterback sit and kind of pick you apart like McCall did? You know, these are the questions that I think that if they aren't answered against a team like ULM, then they become a lot more valid
2: to be asking these kind of questions. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just don't even think it's about ULM. It's about Georgia State if the team that played Coastal last Saturday shows up for this game against ULM, doesn't matter that ULM is winless. Doesn't matter that they've scored the average 13 points a game because that team in all phases just didn't have it and were are struggling. And the thing that I go with this game, and I agree that it shouldn't be a game quote unquote, uh, getting back on track in the run game, priority number one on offense, getting into a rhythm with that, ULM hasn't led this year. And so the danger when you're playing a winless team who hasn't led is if you get them a lead or if you just let them hang around, then they start to believe. And so I I think the biggest thing is getting yourself right, cleaning up the things you need to and just playing your game. And it should go right because you're a more talented team than losing 51 nothing to Coastal. But it can't be a game where they're thinking about, oh, ULM's winless. They've got to focus on what they can do to do better, because if they're thinking about how this is a game they can walk over in, those are the games you lose. And ULM, I like Matt Veador, the head coach. Uh, I think he's been dealt not a great hand. I mean, it just it seems like a really hard place to build a program, but. I think they've done a creditable job with what they can. And this year, just the the bottom's kind of fallen out a little bit, but they'll play hard to start. And they might get discouraged and not be able to claw back in if Georgia State can get out to a lead. But I really don't have any doubt that if it's still a game in the second half, that they're going to feel that juice and they're going
0: to be like, this is the week. Well said. I don't really have anything else to add. So following up on a topic we discussed last week, the Sunbelt basketball schedule, uh turns out the day that pod was scheduled to go live when the uh, power was out of my house for 30 hours the sunbelt put out a modified schedule and now all basketball teams are going to be playing divisional opponents turns out the panthers are going to play coastal carolina appalachian state troy and south alabama four times each two home and two away and then georgia southern twice and a home and home two days apart I don't think that's ever happened in the history of the Panthers and the Eagles playing together in the Sunbelt Conference. Ooh, baby, that's, that's be, spicy. That is very spicy. And it's a mid-season game too. It is in Ooh. Uh, It's uh January. No, I am wrong. February 11th and February 13th at the Sports Arena and at uh Hanerfield House uh, respectively. That is a spicy meatball right there. Yeah, yeah. and it's
2: it's two game series.
0: Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it starts out January 1st and 2nd, uh, specifically speaking about the men's team. Uh, the 1st and 2nd of January, first conference games, it's going to be at Coastal Carolina and then the next day also at Coastal Carolina and then the 8th and 9th at Troy at Troy and then the 15th and 16th Coastal comes to Atlanta and plays in the sports arena on both of those days back-to-back. Rinse, lather, repeat with App State, South Alabama and then vice versa and then The last game that the men's team will play in Atlanta is February 20th when they host Troy and then they'll close their regular season February 26th and 27th at South Alabama before traveling to Pensacola to do the Sunbelt Conference Tournament on the 5th of March.
2: The two game series thing is going to be a new it's going to be an adjustment. Yeah, that's
0: uh that. I don't think that's a format we've ever
2: seen. It's not a basketball. like basketball just isn't designed that way. Except that it, it I mean, makes a NBA lot of sense kind of for is. the for the travel, but but not usually the same team. The back to backs right. are like famously a really bad idea <laughs> in the NBA.
3: Um, yeah, I really don't get the logic here. It just I understand on player traffic. safety. Yeah, but I also think that playing back to backs doesn't. Like you're kind of neutering safety in one aspect, travel because of the pandemic and probably just throwing, you know, injuries to the wind, so to speak. You know, I don't know that players are going to be able to play 110 percent, you know, with very little treatment in between games. You know, so hopefully that doesn't happen. But I feel like this could Potentially be a very dangerous situation, or you know, teams that have the depth will be able to weather the storm. You know, so yeah, I mean, I, I'll i'll turn on the
2: the coach, the motivation thing. I'll I'll be Coach Brady for a second. It's just a bunch of different practices for the tournament. Got back to back games. You're getting into the the, the tournament mode because you get to conference tournament, NCAA tournament. You're playing. Well, I guess just in the conference tournament, you're playing back to back days. Got to win three or four in a row. I I guess for me, the stuff that is good is the thinking about travel. And I, I think it is good that they're considering stuff like that. And they're, they're gearing it towards that given that going into 2021, we're still not really going to be out of this pandemic. Uh, still something that you need to plan for. And so that's good. It's weird for me that they announced the schedule and then immediately changed it. Uh, that didn't really make sense to me because barely had time to be, I mean, we spent a pod topic on it. And now it's totally waste of time. I could have all those words back. The last thing I would say is there's a strategy point that I'm interested to see how it plays out. Uh, just playing teams back to back because you don't usually play the same team that close together. I'm wondering how it affects how each team game plans because you're doing film study on teams. You probably see something, but are you going to hold back on something you see on tape for the second game? Cause you don't want to show it the first game. Are you going to do all those sorts of machinations on the coaching side? So that'll at least be interesting because it really isn't something that teams do that often. It's it's rare when teams play like in back to back weeks in a season, let alone twice in two days. So basketball strategy point of view, I'm very intrigued by it. It's a new thing and in a fun thing in that way.
3: Yeah, remains to be seen how you know this NCAA season kind of comes together and unfolds. I know a lot of other conferences are doing, you know, some different things. So we'll see.
1: that's going to do it for this episode of the Thursday night podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys are staying safe and having a great week and we'll be back to talk all things Georgia state next week.
0: Bye. Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at ThursdayNight or via email at thursdaynightgmail.com.